Good morning, Central Baptist Church. Um, good morning to you too, who are joining us from your homes. Um, uh, we are on the third week of the lockdown. Um, yeah, and then on, Friday, on, on, on Thursday, our president increased the lockdown for two more weeks. So we're still at home and uh, staying sanitized and, <laughs> and uh, hopefully trying to uh, keep sane. Um, but just even as we think about this Easter weekend, uh, the death of Christ, the burial um, of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, may, may this be something to truly encourage us and to um, give us hope that we have a Savior who is indeed truly risen, who died for us, who was buried and who rose again on the third day in victory and in power. So um, I just want to take this few minutes with you and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 up until verse 19. And we are going to look at um, the subject of the importance of the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 9. Let me read from um, this um, passage, uh, verse 1 up until verse 19, and I'll pray. Um, I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read. This is God's word. Let us hear him. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to, the, to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by his grace toward me, uh, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Uh, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach you also believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God, about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is God's word. 
Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, as we draw near to you this morning to meditate and to celebrate and to think about um, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our hearts are filled with hope and joy. Our, ho- our hearts are filled with uh, uh, um, uh, delight in the fact that we serve a risen Lord. May you speak to us. May you encourage us in your word and open our eyes, O Lord. I pray even for those who do not know you that if somehow they are listening to to this and they are watching this, may you draw them to yourself by your grace and by your mercies. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Charles Spurgeon calls the resurrection of Jesus Christ the grandest of all truths. Again, he says, it is the doctrine which is the keystone of the arc of Christianity. I agree with uh, Spurgeon here. You see, Christianity without the resurrection is no Christianity at all. Christianity without the resurrection is a house built without a foundation. Sooner or later, it will come crumbling down. It will fall apart. Paul writes 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 uh, uh, to demonstrate to us the necessity and the importance and, 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 and why the resurrection matters, to show us that the resurrection truly matters. Some at Corinth disputed the fact of the resurrection of the dead. They, 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 they did not believe that the dead could be raised. And so Paul writes this portion of scripture to respond to them. And he shows here the importance of the resurrection and how it is the heart of the gospel. He makes a compelling argument in this whole chapter uh, of 1 Corinthians. But I want us to spend a few minutes on the first 19 verses, uh, those we, we just read. Here Paul shows us that the resurrection is the most important event in the history of Christianity. But not only that, he also shows us that there are great consequences that hang on our response to the resurrection. The way we respond to the resurrection, the, the manner we respond to the resurrection has, has great consequences on our faith, on our e- e- eternal uh, destiny. And it is extremely important on, on, on this Easter Sunday and every day of our lives that we understand why the resurrection of Christ matters and why we should take it seriously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 19, Paul shows us here why the resurrection matters. He, he, he argues for the importance of the resurrection by presenting two compelling reasons. First of all, he shows us that the resurrection is true. Then he shows us what would happen if the resurrection was not true. Let us look at the first compelling reason. The resurrection is important because it is true. We see that in the first 11 verses from verse 1 to verse 11. Here Paul argues, first of all, for the veracity or the truthfulness of the resurrection. In other words, it is not an invention of dejected men who followed a fraud, but it is a historically verifiable truth. Jesus Christ did really physically rise from the dead. 
And that is an important point to make. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a spiritual resurrection, but it is a physical resurrection. He rose again from the dead with a glorified body. And Paul explains that in, 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 in verses 35 to 49 of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, but this body... Or that he rose again and could be seen, could be touched. When he appeared to the disciples, remember, he, he ate and drank with them. It was a physical body. Today, many people consider truth to be fluid, to consider truth to be something that is personal and not something that is objective. So oftentimes we hear things like, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Um, and so, if, even with um, the resurrection, you hear people saying, if you think that the resurrection is true, that's fine. It's fine if it is true for you, but it is not true for me. But that is not the case here. That, that is a misunderstanding and a, a misleading understanding of the nature of truth. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't something that is true for some, but not for others. It is like the law of gravity. You don't have to believe that gravity is true for it to be true. It is true whether you believe it or not. And it matters whether you believe it or not. From these 11 verses, the first 11 verses, Paul lists a few evidences that prove the fact that the resurrection is true. That it is not an invention of man. He, he makes testimonies that prove the truth of the resurrection. He mentions three testimonies. The, the first testimony that Paul mentions, we see it in verse 4, the testimony of Scripture. Scripture testifies of the resurrection. The, the, the Scriptures prophesied about the Messiah who would be raised from the dead. In, in his sermon on the day of, the, of Pentecost, Peter quoted, remember, Psalm 16, and showed how David referred to Christ in that Psalm. And here's what he says in, 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 in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, quoting Psalm 16. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, all, or, or let your Holy One see corruption. And in our text here, Paul refers to the resurrection of Christ in verse 20 and verse 23 as the first fruits. In, in the Old Testament, the, the first fruits were presented to God on the following day after the Sabbath after Passover. And we see that in Leviticus 23. Uh, since Jesus, the, the, the Passover lamb was slain uh, on, the, on, the, on the Jewish Passover, his resurrection on the day after the Sabbath fulfills the scripture as well. It fulfills the scripture. So as we, we, we look at the fact that Christ, the lamb of God, who is who takes away the sin of the world, is slain on the Jewish Passover. Then on the Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath, which is uh, uh, the first day uh, uh, after the Passover, the Sabbath of the Passover, um, we, we see Christ rising as the first fruit. There are also numerous other Old Testament uh, scriptures, when, when, when read in their context, they clearly refer, you can see, to the resurrection of Christ. You, you think of Psalm 22, verse 22 and following. You think about Isaiah um, chapter 53, verse 10 to 12. But, but for the interest of time, we will not... What I want you to see is that 
in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus also himself predicted on a number of, case, of, of occasions that he would be killed and raised up on the third day. We see that in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, Matthew 20, Matthew 27, and John chapter 2. This is, this is Jesus Christ keeps repeating this idea that he would be killed and raised on the third day. And since the scriptures are accurate, uh, on, a, on, a, on a number, especially hundreds of other prophecies, and since Jesus Christ himself uh, is known not to lie, these prophecies lend weight on the fact of the resurrection. It was an honest story that was made up uh, after the fact by a bunch of dejected disciples. The, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ were in accordance with God's eternal plan. And secondly, we see not only the testimony of scripture to the resurrection, but we also see the testimony of the eyewitnesses. We see this in verses 5 to 8. Paul lists a number of people who saw the risen Christ. None of these people were expecting a resurrection. Paul, of, of witnesses, argues against the possibility of hallucination. That, that idea of hallucination sometimes uh, makes me laugh because... Let's think about it. Uh, one person can hallucinate and see things by themselves. But two people, uh, when they are together, let's uh, assume that they are coming together and they, they smoke a strong herb. And, and, and as, as they are together there and they see hallucinations, I, I can guarantee you that they will not see the same hallucination. Now, it's even worse when 500 people that Paul mentions here are together and are, uh, people say these if they were hallucinating, they would see different things. One would see a donkey, another one would see a horse, another one would see a dog, another one would see a rabbit. People would see different illusions. I mean, a hallucination. And, and again, we, we, the moral integrity of the witnesses, the man who gave the world its highest moral teaching, the apostles, proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is not a fabrication. About the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have to say that all these witnesses were deceived and are deceivers. But that is not the case. The, 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 the witnesses as well stand as a testimony of the resurrection of Christ. But not only that, you see, um, the, the scripture testifies of the resurrection. The witnesses testify of the resurrection. And again, we see the testimony of changed lives. And we see this in verse 9 to 11. Paul mentions his own transformation as exhibit A. He, he had been a pe persecutor of the church of God, but now uh, he, he was pouring out his life on behalf of Christ. Because of the grace of Christ, he was now dedicated and, and passionate about sharing the Christ and, 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 and about the grace that he once persecuted. We also know that Peter and the other disciples were transformed from depressed, fearful men after the crucifixion to joyful, courageous witnesses after the resurrection.
it is hard to explain that change, that, that change and, and their willingness to, to suffer for Christ even unto death. If, if they knew this to be false, why would they give their lives at the stake? What, why would they, why would they, 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 they allow um, to, 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 to be killed and to be persecuted? I mean, they, 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 could, they could have, um, you know, admitted that this is false and, and moved on with their lives. But we see them giving their lives sacrificially for this truth. And again, there is, uh, there is the evidence of, of changed lives of those who have believed through the witness of the apostles. The, 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 the Corinthians have believed, verse 11, and they were transformed, as we see um, when Paul talks about, about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. Um, millions of others, again, in every century and culture, have testified to the life-changing power of the risen Savior. The evidence is solid. We, we, we must begin to, to, to realize that the resurrection matters because it's a historical fact, because it is true. And why, that's why we need to take it serious. We need to take it serious because it is true. It is not a made-up thing. It is true. Christ is risen from the dead. He is truly, truly risen. Not only is the resurrection true, but the second argument that Paul makes is that without the resurrection, Christianity is worthless. We see that in verses 12 to verse 19. Without the resurrection, Christianity is worthless. The, the, the Christians were not rejecting the resurrection of Christ per se, but there were some that were saying that there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. Paul is showing them here the logical consequences of that wrong belief. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then it logically follows that even Christ did not rise from the dead. Verse 13. And if that's the case, a number of other things follow, which makes the entire Christian faith worthless. First of all, the, the first thing that we see, if the resurrection is not true, is that the gospel itself is worthless. We see that in verse 14a and verse 15. Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, then uh, uh, he says, then, then our preaching is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. Uh, that, that word literally means, that word vain literally means empty. Our preaching is empty. In other words, there is no substance to the gospel if Christ is not raised. Christianity may have some nice moral platitudes, but it, is, it still simply takes its place among other powerless religions and ethical systems if you remove the living Jesus Christ. See, the power of Christianity is in the fact that it is the faith of an empty tomb, as my, my father-in-law loves to say. If, 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 if brothers and sisters, if, if the tomb is not empty, the, the gospel is not the power of God for salvation. It loses its power. 
Christianity is what it is because the tomb is empty. We do not serve a, a dead savior. He cannot be a savior if he is dead. We serve a living God. Secondly, what logically follows if the resurrection is not true is that believing the gospel is worthless. Believing the gospel is worthless. We see that in verses 14b and verse 17. Believing the gospel becomes worthless. He says, if, 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 if the resurrection is, is, is not true, then your faith is in vain. Your faith is empty. Apart from the reality of the resurrection, faith is no good. Have you ever thought it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe? That's the most ridiculous thing. It's it's what I call faith in faith. It it, it, it is not faith in... in, in, The the substance of your faith is just that faith. It it, it has no um, trustworthy object. You see, faith is only good as its object. You, you can believe with all your heart that you can fly and, and jump off a three-story building. The, 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 the floor, right, the ground, will prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that you cannot fly. It, it, it doesn't mean if you believe with your heart all your heart that you can fly unless of course you're talking about maybe having the ability or having been trained to fly airplanes or helicopters maybe we can say yes you can fly if you speak about it in that context but if you say i can fly meaning that you can jump off a building and and start to 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 have bit like characteristics um and and you jump off a building the ground will prove to you that that is not true you see faith is only as good as its object. Why is it worthless, if, if that's the case, to believe in Jesus Christ if he is not raised from the dead? We have a sin problem. God is absolutely righteous and cannot accept us into his presence if we have sin. And Christ died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. We, we, we saw on Friday on Easter Friday, as we looked at John chapter 1, verse 29, when, when John points to Christ and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In, in other words, if this Lamb uh, it, it dies and does not rise again from the dead, what John is saying is not true. He cannot take away the world. He cannot take away the sin of the world. If he is not risen, then his death is not different than any other death, and faith in him is worthless. We are still in our sins, as verse 17 shows us. We, we are still hopeless. We are still dead in our sins, and we are still children of wrath. We are still deserving the wrath of God, and we will face the penalty of sin. Praise the Lord that Christ truly is risen. And Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is true of us. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If, if those who are in Christ are in Christ are in the Christ who is not risen, there is great condemnation for them. Jesus 
must in fact be reason if our faith is to be of any effect with regard to our sin problem. Thirdly, what logically follows if Jesus Christ is not risen is that hope beyond the grave is worthless. We see that in verse 18. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Paul says that if, if Christ is not risen, then those who have fallen asleep, those who died in Christ, have, have perished. That there is no ground for believing that our departed loved ones who, who play in Christ are in heaven. That there is no way of truly believing that confidently if Christ is not raised. They cannot be in heaven because they, they died in their sins. Their sins were not truly forgiven. They are not with God in heaven. They are not experiencing true eternal bliss. We cannot have a hope like that. In other words, if Christ is not risen, the gospel is worthless. Believing the gospel is worthless. And hope beyond the grave is worthless. Fourthly and lastly, what logically follows when the resurrection is not true is that our suffering, your suffering, and toil are worthless. We see that in verse 19. Suffering and toil are worthless. Have you ever thought to yourself, even if Christianity is not true, there is, and, and there is no God and nothing beyond this life, I would still want to be a Christian because of the good things of the good life it brings me now. I think I have, I've thought of that, you know, the, the Pascal wager. Um, I've, I've thought of that a lot as well. But where else can you find a, a way of life that brings you so much joy and happiness in, in Christianity? We, we forget one factor oftentimes. When we think like that. We, we forget that we are not facing persecution on account of our faith. Paul was. If there is no God and no eternity, then why suffer for your faith? Why are, are, are believers that we, we, we pray for every Sunday in, in, in countries where Christianity is illegal, where, 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 where believers are persecuted, why do they continue to suffer like that if the resurrection is not true? Why does Paul continue to suffer these these persecutions if Christ did not rise from the dead? Why endure persecution? And if we minimize the fact that we are called to live sacrificially and work hard for the cause of Christ, as as nothing at all. And that is the problem of middle-class Christianity. The wobbly Christianity. Discipleship, as Jesus presented it, is costly. It, it, it involves giving yourself, it, your time, your, your money. It, it is not an easy road. That's why Paul says in verse 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most to be pitied. What's the bottom line? 
or if Jesus is not gives it in, 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 in chapter 15 verse 32 he says if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die in other words live for yourself and for your pleasure now because that is all there is we, we might as well say with Oza Africa fill up the table cut down the empties it is concerning that there are many people who say I believe in Jesus Christ and the resurrection yet when you observe their lifestyle you find that it clearly matches the attitude of verse 32 they live for themselves they pursue comfort they pursue pleasure and affluence dreaming of getting a nicer a house, a shiny car, and other comforts that make life more enjoyable. You see, verse 32 is a sum- summation of the heart of prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel only has hope in this life alone. That is why it is misleading. The, the hope of the prosperity in this life alone I once uh, was at a meeting, at a, at a, at a tent meeting in Soshanguve, and um, uh, this false uh, prophet was, was preaching. And he, he, as he was preaching, he said that believers are always talking about the return of Christ. And then he says in the middle of his so-called sermon, stop, Christ, don't come. Why, why should you come while we are driving Unos? We need to drive BMWs. We need to. We need to drive German cars and, and big cars. And you're thinking, that really doesn't make sense. It, it is actually summarized by verse 32. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Only hope in this life. The prosperity gospel is not looking forward to the coming of Christ. It is trying to amass as much pleasure, as much wealth, as much uh, affluence as possible in this life because this is where it ends. Life. Are you always living for self and pursuing comfort, pleasure and affluence? What about God? What about the church? Do they fit into that scheme do, do, to, to, to the extent that God and his church make you feel good and increase your happiness, you get involved. Is that what um, is true of you? But in the final analysis, the, the controlling value of your life, is, is, it, is, it, is it happiness? Is it holiness? Is it God? Is it love? If you think about it, that's how a person lives if they don't believe that Christ is risen. If they don't believe the resurrection of Christ, they live for this life. A person who truly believes that the, who truly believes the risen Savior seeks first his kingdom and righteousness. And we must be careful. You must be careful. 
If you claim to have been a Christian for a long time, but Christ and his kingdom are not central in your life, Christ is optional in your life, and going to church is optional in your life, you may have believed in vain. You you may have not truly believed. If the grace of God and, and the fact that are a reality in your life, then like Paul, you should be denying yourself and following Jesus Christ, no matter how hard that may be. Paul labored hard for Jesus Christ as a result of meeting with the risen Savior. But you say, that was Paul. I I am not Paul. True, you're not Paul. But look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. This is Paul's conclusion. Verse 58 Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul's conclusion in light of the fact that Christ has risen and he is coming back stems from, this, from his resurrection in verse 58, 50 and 54. He says, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're totally vain. That's written to the whole church, to every believer, not to pastors alone, but to every Christian as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are to be involved in the work of the Lord. It really shocks me when believers have taken this lockdown as just an opportunity to to laze away, not thinking about the eternal destiny of their families who do not know the Lord, not even taking time to even examine themselves. One One philosopher Um, says that an unexamined life is not worth living. We hardly examine our lives. When when, 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 when our goal, if if our goal is truly to, 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 in the work of the Lord, to to, to be involved in the work of the Lord, uh, we, we should realize that that is not in vain. It is the only source of true fulfillment. Is that the goal of your life, to, to seek first the risen Christ and his kingdom? Or is it, the, is it to work for your own happiness and, and, and fit in the Lord's work when it's convenient and doesn't interfere with your happiness? I, I, I am convinced that this lockdown is revealing to us what is most important. It is revealing to us what is central to the Christian faith. When the Lord switches off the bells and the whistles and leaves the preaching of his word as the central mark of his church, we should realize how important this is, brothers and sisters. We should realize how important this is. The fact that Christ is risen reminds us that in Christ we have
Christ is risen reminds us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It reminds us that our faith is a living faith. It reminds us that that to believe in Christ is not to believe in vain. It reminds us that Christ truly saves. It reminds us that, that we, when we placed our faith in him, we do not place our faith in him in vain. He truly saves and he will save us. He saved us. He is saving us. And he will save us in the end. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters because it is true. And because apart from it, it will be worthless. But praise the Lord, it is not worthless. Praise the Lord that we have believed in the risen Christ. Praise the Lord that this risen Christ is coming back again to take his church to be with him glory. Amen. Praise the Lord and bless you.